May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, one thing I was mindful of, especially after reflecting on the Proppers today, especially on our epistle passage, and it, you know, especially after yesterday, it, it reminds me just how shepherds of God's flock are, are to be servants first, okay? Because really what the collar does for me, I don't have to figure out what to wear to church on any given Sunday, it doesn't mean that, that, that my ministry is any greater or any lesser than, than that of, of the laity. Because we truly are, if we are using our gifts together corporately for, for the advancement of the gospel and, and reaching out into to our community, then there are a variety of gifts that, that, that come into play. So, so for that reason, I, I especially in addressing clergy or those who are you know, soon to be received, uh, that uh, shepherds of God's flock are not to lord it over the flock, but rather to lead by their example. You know, and that's something that absolutely is, is my, one of my pet peeves. I have a few pet peeves, but most of it involves uh, taking care of people and being kind to people and never crossing that line into abuse of authority or abuse of people in any way, shape, or form. And this whole concept of leadership is well illustrated in the U.S. Army's symbol of the infantry. A soldier with a rifle in one hand, the helmet kind of slightly cocked as he looks back, and the other arm is giving a come-on-ahead motion, and the leader is shouting back, follow me. And this symbol illustrates leadership by example as the platoon leader calls his men to follow him into the heat of the battle. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage, but a tremendous amount of leadership because the first order of leadership is you don't ask your people to do anything that you're not willing to do yourself. In fact, General Eisenhower demonstrated this when he he was the commanding general of, of all allied forces. Uh, He demonstrated the art of leadership with a simple piece of string. He'd put it on a table and say, pull it, just pull the string, and it will follow wherever you wish. Push it, and it will go nowhere at all. It's just that way when it comes to leading people. They need to follow a leader who is leading by example. And as I've often said, this applies not only to to clergy, but also lay leadership as well. And while leadership principles are not actually the main focus of this text, St. Paul followed the instructional pattern that he would normally follow of this particular epistle, which includes warnings followed by encouragement through following his example. So for, for the sake of context, and by the way, our Our text for this morning is found on page 222 of your prayer book, but I'm going to back up a few verses just for the sake of context. So I'm actually going to begin in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And I read, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So as we can see, the entire text actually beginning in verse 12 falls uh, under a heading that we see in an English Standard Version where they, where they have, have the headings that are apocryphal. I mean, that wasn't in the original text, obviously. But in this heading, we read straining toward the goal. And he began this entire passage in verse 12, emphasizing his progress in the gospel through Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the law. In other words, he did not yet attain it. He was not yet perfect, but he pressed on to attain all that pertains to the resurrection of Christ, as we also read in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has made the apostle his very own. By, by appearing to him on that road in Damascus. So how that applies to us, especially in our journey of sanctification, which is a concept that we remember all throughout Trinity Tide, in our own journey, we will never be perfect until we reach glory. We will never be perfect on this side of the veil of death. And we must always remember that any form of perfectionism any form of legalism, and even ritualism are contrary to the doctrines of grace. And we must never forget that we begin and end our earthly journey by faith through grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. So to that end, we will focus on today's epistle. And we're going to look at at three particular aspects here. One, we're going to look at the right example of St. Paul. But we're also going to look at the wrong example of the Judaizers. And then we're also going to think about and reflect upon our true citizenship, which is not here. All right. So that said, let's now start with with verse 17 of Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For the third time in chapter 3, St. Paul addressed the Philippian church as his brothers. Of course, that would include sisters too. Reminding them that they belong to the same spiritual family as the apostle. Thus, when he says, join in imitating me, he was essentially saying, follow my lead. As I lead by example. He certainly was not saying that he was better than anyone else and neither did he highlight his privileges, achievements, position, or even advantages. In fact, quite the contrary, he began the third chapter warning the church to place no confidence in the flesh because he doesn't either. And let's back up to verse three and and read what that says in Philippians chapter three. So I pick it up at verse three. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. 
If anyone else thinks he has any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, in contrast to the Judaizers who deceived the church with their legalism, in compelling strict obedience to the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law, St. Paul described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee zealous for the law as he persecuted the church and blameless in his adherence to the law. All that aside, he considered all that he gained in that position as a loss and as rubbish. Now, rubbish, if you go back to what it says in the Greek, it's a lot more more graphic. Rubbish is actually translated from the Greek word skubalon, which can mean anything from anything that's disposable at all, whether it's kitchen scraps all the way to the most disgusting form of excrement. You get the idea. That graphically illustrates how he felt about his accomplishments. In other words, Of all that I accomplished, that is considered dung in comparison to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus and his gospel. So he called the church to follow that example in sharing the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the righteousness from God that depends entirely on faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. When we think about that, for us who are considered missionaries sent by the church in Nigeria within the context of the North American mission, as missionaries and as church planners in a society that has essentially turned its back on God, we must always remember that we are called to humble service in the Lord Jesus Christ and also to each other in community as we use our gifts collectively to build up the body of Christ. But we don't do that in our own strength at all. We do that only in the power of the Holy Spirit working in us because it's that same Holy Spirit who empowers us to believe, empowers us to bear witness, and empowers us also to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. In other words, We walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, as we also read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. 
In other words, we live a life that's worthy, as a life that others would imitate. In other words, a life that others might want to know, okay, what makes you so different? And that, of course, would give you the opportunity, whether it's in your families, in your work, and in the marketplace, to give reason for the hope that lies within with gentleness and respect. Okay, so that is the right example to follow, St. Paul's. In contrast to the wrong example that we're going to read in the next couple of verses. So let's pick up in verse 18 of Philippians chapter 3. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. In these next couple of verses in today's epistle, St. Paul explains why he asked the Philippians to follow his example, to imitate him, and to follow closely those leaders who adhere to that same apostolic teaching and practice. Note how the apostle did not refer to them as merely enemies, as though they were his enemies, he more accurately wrote that the Judaizers were actually enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ, because they proclaimed a different gospel that St. Paul wrote about in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, as being anathema. When he wrote, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Those are strong words. Because what St. Paul was preaching against was the legalism. So when we read their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, what does that mean? Well, destruction will most certainly be their end if they persist in rejecting the gospel of the crucified Christ, even though they're meticulously precise in keeping the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law. They focused on the ritual as the end rather than the means to that end. And they completely overlooked the fact that the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the law. Which is why we must be very careful. I love our liturgy. And absolutely, we have not only scripture, but scriptural concepts infused all throughout that. But if we're not careful, it, it, can be some, it, it can become so rote that we run the danger of it being ritualistic. So that's why I would always say that one thing that we should do is we're saying the liturgy, whether it's in Holy Communion or in the daily offices, that uh, we always want to make sure that, that we are in an attitude of prayer, that we kind of think of the devotional aspects of why we're doing what we're doing. Okay, and the reason why this is so important is because St. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church uh, when he said, and I quote, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. You see, because their minds were so set on the privileges of earthly things that they failed to look up to the ascended Christ who will one day return to judge both the living and the dead. 
And we read about that in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And with Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will then you also will appear with him in glory. So exactly why I say that we must remember that liturgy and the rituals are not the end in themselves, but the means to the end of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And that's why I start off each service with that whole concept. In fact, Winfield Bevins in his recently published book, Simply Anglican, wrote this. Liturgy frees us from worshiping ourselves and keeps the focus on the triune God with reading of scripture, reciting creeds and confession. Anglican worship reminds us that the real, what the real worship of God is all about. It's not about us. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So now that we've seen both the right example of St. Paul and the wrong example of the Judaizers, Let's now talk about our true citizenship. Ephesians, or rather Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The Lutheran reformer, Philip Melanchthon, wrote, in a summary of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. He wrote, The bewitched Jews who, regarding the preservation of their political state, they were persuaded to wander and sow such great disputes regarding the law. In other words, the voice of the gospel does not establish a political state of empire in this mortal life, as the Jews dream. In other words, with the, a lot of the Jews who were following Jesus in his earthly ministry, what they had in mind is that he would be the conquering Messiah to overthrow Roman rule. But it didn't quite work out that way. But when we look at what the Greek says about the word citizenship, it means a state or a commonwealth that functions as a colony of foreigners or relocated veterans whose purpose was to secure the conquered country for the conquering country by spreading abroad that country's way of doing things, its customs, its culture, its laws, and so on. And for us, that concept is captured beautifully in the Great Commission. In St. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through through 20, where Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission. The apostles' point was that the Philippian church existed as a Roman colony uh, where they enjoyed full rights as Roman citizens, while at the same time, existed as a colony of heaven on earth. Its members enjoyed the full citizenship of the heavenly city, yet were also charged with the responsibility of bringing the world to the knowledge of the sovereignty of Christ our King. 
who reigns in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. That's our job as a church to proclaim that. And as Jesus said in today's gospel, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Yes, we pay our taxes, we obey just laws, and we vote in elections. We pray for our leaders, whether we voted for them or not. We do our duty as citizens of our country, but we must always remember that this world is not our home. And the gospel, not partisan politics, is the answer to all of the issues and ills that we see in our culture. Regardless of who's president, regardless of who's governor, regardless of who's in the Congress, Jesus is still our king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will one day return to make all things new. Until then, we await our Savior to one day return and transform us at the end of the age with resurrection bodies prepared for the eternal kingdom and the wedding supper of the Lamb, which we rehearse today in Holy Communion. So until that day, let us grow in grace and the power of the Holy Spirit who prepares our hearts to believe and empowers us to live lives that glorify the Lord. So let us follow St. Paul's example and live faithfully as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Amen. And we say this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost.